Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to The Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, The Athletic Zone, Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I am great. I can't believe we're here. Week 17, man. So there's so many reasons that it doesn't feel right. And one of them is, and I was thinking about this yesterday, it's so weird to not be on the road right now or not have the prospect of being on the road lingering over us. Because oh, for sure. in a typical year, I mean, I remember this for the last like six years I've covered the league. Essentially after Christmas, like the day after Christmas, most years I would get on a plane and I would go oftentimes to a team that I thought was going to get the buy or that already had the buy to report something that would run after the wild card round going into the divisional round. And then I had all these different things up in the air. And for several reasons, that's not happening this year. One, I have a different job and I write less. Two, no one's on the road. So I have no grasp of what's going on in the season or where we are because I have none of the benchmarks temporally that would typically indicate where we are in the season. So it's yeah, very it's, strange. I'm it's all very over the bizarre. place. It's been the longest, shortest year. And I think that's yeah. probably true for a lot of reasons and a lot of things about 2020. But, you know, this the season has just kind of ticked along they haven't postponed. Well, we've postponed games within weeks, but we've gotten here. There's 16 games left. So what, 240 games in without a cancellation? We've got one more tenuous situation that we're going to get to right now with the Browns that really bears watching throughout week 17 as we get to oh, Sunday. We'll get to that. But, but we've we've made it here. They're full steam into the playoffs and the football's actually been pretty good. And we've headed, we're heading into week 17 with a ton of games that matter. I think going into week 16, there were a lot of clinching scenarios and there was the potential that week 17 could have been largely a dud, but a lot of things broke in the way that maybe football fans needed it. Maybe the, if you're the Browns, the Colts, some of these teams, the, the Washington football team that could have won your way in last week didn't happen. But what it's really led us to is a week 17 that is going to be really impactful throughout the entire league. So many seedings are up for grabs. A couple division titles are still up for grabs. And we've got a, a couple really important games. What we're going to do here is we're just going to go through the games with playoff implications. We're going to scrap the normal outline we have for the Thursday show just because it doesn't really make a lot of sense right now. We're just going to get to all the games where seating is on the line or teams need to win. Just go straight down the line. So let's start with in what in a lot of ways is the most important game because of all of the dominoes that it could set into motion. And that's Washington and the Eagles, which is the reason it's the Sunday night game. So on a very broad level here, if Washington wins, they're in. They are the NFC East champion. They were a team that was supposed to be a disaster this year, and somehow they're in line to win a division title. If they lose to the Eagles, the Giants-Cowboys game becomes a play-in game to make the playoffs. It is so fitting 
that this batshit crazy division that should not exist and we should not pay attention to is center stage in week 17 in the most primetime visible slot because of all of the implications associated with this game. Yeah, it was really funny last Sunday trying to figure out exactly what the NFL was going to do about the flex scheduling and what they would move into Sunday night football if they were going to flex a game in at all. They don't have to put a game into that primetime slot. But I think in this case, even though this is a bad game. It is still the NFC East. They're going to get crazy ratings out of it. The Eagles obviously have a lot of interest in them just because of the mess that they are right now. So they're going to get a lot of eyeballs on that game. A lot of us are going to be watching, but it is crazy that after this entire year, that's the game that's going into kind of the NFL's marquee slot where it's going to be. I mean, if you would have told any of us a month ago that the Sunday night football game in week 17 was going to be Jalen Hurts versus Taylor Heineke. Like, what would you have said? I mean, I guess it's very fitting for 2020, but that's just I would have had a lot of follow-up questions, (laughs) several follow-up questions. So that's the biggest piece of news associated with this game, obviously. Washington releases Dwayne Haskins this week after his poor performance, and I'm assuming plenty of off-the-field stuff of which we are not fully aware. And I think that was a big part of their decision to bench him early in the year. That came out after we had that initial conversation with Rhiannon about his benching, and I think we've gotten a lot more context about that entire situation. I don't know what to say about Haskins. It feels like there are a lot of things that need to change there. He was a former first-round pick. You would assume that he's going to get a look from somebody this offseason that will take a flyer on him. Getting released and having your agent dump you, yeah, who is one of the most powerful agents in the NFL right now that's getting all these massive deals for these guys, and I would assume behind the scenes wields a lot of power, is yes. kind of a terrible week for Dwayne Haskins. It's going to be a long road back for him, but that's a conversation for another time. Right now, after the way he looked last week against Carolina, I think this offense is significantly better with Taylor Heineke than it would have been with Dwayne Haskins. And I don't know how much worse it is than it was with Alex Smith. I went back and I watched those Heineke throws today. He was doing some good stuff, like throwing balls and anticipation throws before guys were breaking open. A couple like in-breaking routes that like many quarterbacks around the league have never attempted to throw over the course of a season. I think he actually looks okay. One of my favorite pieces of NFL media this week was that clip of Chase Young slowly realizing who Taylor Haneke was as he was standing on the sideline. I think all of us went through that experience collectively during the second half of that game watching Taylor Haneke play quarterback. Did you did you go back to early 2020 and your XFL, um, the, the XFL games that you watched back in February well, and he March? He played last year, didn't he? He got a couple snaps he for played, the Panthers I believe last it was twenty. I believe it was 2018 oh, they, uh, oh. for the Panthers, but it was. He did. He's made one NFL start. Not he started, even just last year, two years ago. That's how off I am. Yeah, it was when it was after Cam was shut down yeah. late in the 2018 season, and they ripped through a couple different backup quarterbacks. And then he was with the Didn't XFL. did Garrett Gilbert also play yeah, in that was, game? There were there were a bunch of guys. It wasn't a great time to be a Carolina Panthers fan. Um, No, I think Gary Gilbert played for the Saints that year or something. There was some. There was a lot. Maybe not. (laughs) I'm remembering this wrong. There were a lot of weird backup quarterbacks involved at the end of last that season, if I remember correctly. There might have been a Kyle Allen situation as well. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Rivera has basically brought all of the guys who ever played quarterback for him in Carolina with him to Washington, except for Cam Newton. But yeah, so I mean, you know, he's he's competent. And this is the first time that we've seen the quarantine quarterback situation actually become a 
a thing where the guy that they signed late kept him isolated from the team. So it's not surprising that Chase Young didn't know who he was because he hadn't been really in the building. It's not like he was hanging out at their meetings. You know, he was kind of signed to be their quarantine quarterback while he was finishing up his classes from Old Dominion. It's a it's a pretty crazy story. And, you know, he he was functional and that's really all they needed at that point. I mean, they just need somebody who's going to just not mess up. And Dwayne Haskins has just messed up a lot. He's really immature. He came in really into an impossible situation where a mess with the coaching staff when he was drafted. It was an ownership pick. It was just a really, really bad situation for a guy who was the greenest quarterback in that class. So now really what Washington needs is kind of a grown-up in the huddle, somebody who's going to be on time, do the studying that they need to do. And look, I don't I don't know if this is something that Taylor Heineke can replicate, if he can kind of look like a functional NFL quarterback for, you know, he played about a half last week, if he can do it for four more quarters. But he gives them a better chance than they would have had with Dwayne Haskins, who, like you said, there was there was a lot more that went into it than one bad game and one bad week. And where he goes from here is going to be one of the more interesting stories to watch over the next year. But that's something for us to worry about uh, in 2021. It feels like them getting McLaurin back and him playing this week would be huge. Obviously, he was yeah. out last week as well. He's one of their only offensive weapons. There were a couple drops in that game that Heineke really well-delivered balls. Some of them were kind of 50-50, whether they should have been caught or not. But it really was obvious that they, this team just does not have much weaponry on offense. And losing McLaurin is huge for them. So we'll see what kind of performance their offense can put up. I think it has to be solid, merely solid. Because their defense, again, is what's going to carry them if they win this game. The Eagles' offensive line is completely outmatched against that Washington front. I mean, the Eagles' offensive line is outmatched against most fronts, let alone one with the amount of talent that Washington has. The question is, what does Jalen Hurts do to offset that? Because when these two teams played earlier in the season, you had statuesque Carson Wentz back there. Hurts is a different sort of beast. And his ability to create out of structure and everything else presents a different sort of challenge. I went back and I looked at the numbers that Kyler Murray had when these two teams played earlier this year just to see what they'd done against a running quarterback. And he had eight carries for 67 yards and two touchdowns. He got did some damage because as dynamic as this front is, there are guys on the edge especially that can be a little bit freelancy, a little bit undisciplined, and I think that that's going to be something they really have to take into consideration this week because if they just line up and play, and they don't let Jalen Hurts escape, and they just make the Eagles play offense, I don't know how much the Eagles can do. This is going to have to be a second reaction, Jalen Hurts just making shit work sort of approach, and it's up to Washington to make sure they do everything they can to contain that version of the Eagles offense. And we're going to have to wait till Sunday night to find out, which it's so weird that the the Giants-Cowboys game is early, and it could end up mattering a ton. So whoever wins that game is going to go home and just wait the rest of the day to find out if they get into the playoffs or not i have two questions for you related to the giants cowboys thing one do you know who the highest rated offense by dvoa is in the nfc east i mean i guess it's the cowboys it is the dallas cowboys they are 23rd and they are the the best offense in that division which which I they think... should be they have the most talent on offense fair fair 
But Andy Dalton right now is playing the best of any quarterback in the NFC East. I mean, Jalen Hurts has done some stuff out of structure and everything else, but Andy Dalton as a thrower and a quarterback has been a little bit better than he has. He actually played pretty well last week against the banged up Eagles secondary, granted. But when Which you're talking about the NFC East, it's always graded on a curve. No. So, but I'm wondering if the Cowboys are actually maybe the team that would give the best fight to anybody in the playoffs. I still think it's Washington's defense. The other thing is, does any of this really matter? Does any of this matter? Does the winner of this division, does it have any implications outside of the locker room of whatever team ends up winning it? Like the Cowboys. Would you rather have the 11th pick in the draft like they do right now or win the division and have the 19th pick in the draft and have your prize be getting stomped by the Saints in the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're the Cowboys, because this was not like a rebuilding year for the Cowboys. I think for the Cowboys, they'd be happy with the playoff game. They, they, I think they would rather win the division. I think if you're some of these other these other teams, though, I think if you're the Giants, where you still have a lot of roster holes, especially on offense, if you're the Eagles, I, yeah, well, the Eagles can't win this division at this point. They're the ones that are completely out of it. Um, I think for the Cowboys, they'd, they'd want to win. That, you know, they're going to get to home. Ga- they're going to have a home game in AT&T Stadium. They're going to put 35,000 people there. We're all going to watch that game horrified at the potential Jesus. super spreader event that's happening in Dallas. But, I, you know, I think for the Cowboys. It's almost a reason to root against them. And hopefully they don't win. Hopefully Washington just wins and takes care of it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really wild uh, to, to think about all of these potential scenarios. But I think, I mean, most likely the Bucks are going to be the five seed, right? And it's going to be the NFC East champion hosting the Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. Oh, that's right. They're not playing the Saints. They're, they'd be playing the Buccaneers. That's right. Yeah, so and it's going Bucks. to be Tom Brady, Mike Evans. I mean, I just think if it's the Cowboys, that offense. I forgot that this team gets offense. the four seed if they win the division, not the seven seed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's how this would shake out. And, uh. you know, you look at the Bucks' offense against the Cowboys' defense – Yikes. I think it'll be just fine. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure it really matters who wins this division. It's just the thing that has the most importance heading into week 17. So let's get to a couple teams that I think if they get in, it's a little bit of a different story. They could potentially be dangerous. Let's start with the Rams and the Cardinals, a game that is much more relevant than we would have thought a couple weeks ago. It felt like the Rams were cruising toward the playoffs. Now, not so much. If they lose this game, They need the Bears to lose to Green Bay. The Rams now need help in order to get into the playoffs because, and and that is just something that I never would have considered a couple weeks ago before they lost to the Jets. This felt like one of the better teams in the league for a good chunk of this season. And now, this is not an easy proposition against the Cardinals. They had an easy time the last time these two teams played. Now you have Jared Goff out with a broken thumb. Cooper Cup tested positive for COVID. He's not playing in this game. Cam Akers is still hurt. And Daryl Henderson is on IR with a high ankle sprain. So the Rams will now have John Wolford at quarterback with their playoff lives on the line. I mean, we were talking about Tyler, Taylor Heineke and his XFL experience. I mean, now we're going back. This is AAF, right? John Wolford, former Wake Forest quarterback, um, I mean, Sean McVay knows a lot about quarterbacks, and I, I, if I have to pick one coordinator or play caller, head coach, who's going to scheme up something for a one-game scenario for this guy, I, I like it. I like the idea of what they're going to do, but man, this is this is crazy, a crazy situation, and especially without uh, without Cooper Cup as well, because he really is whether it's Jared Goff or. 
John Wolford, Cooper Cup is the security blanket wide receiver. So now that's really going to have to be Robert Woods is going to have to be that guy. And I don't know. And what their running back core is going to look like. I mean, it's this is not a great, <laughs> great situation weird? for a win and get is in it weird? game. Is it weird that I'm kind of excited to watch what it looks like? I'm very well, curious. You, you love like play action bootleg stuff, right? Oh, they're I mean, going to build is the whole like plane out of bootlegs. So. There are, are going to be 10,000 bootlegs in this game. And that is, I know we're joking about it, but that is the distinction between Jared Goff and John Wolford is that Goff within that system, he's not mobile. He cannot move. And when you can run even a little bit, uh, in, the, in that play-action bootleg offense, and you can pick up a first down here, there, you give some volatility in a good way to that offense. And I think that's what John Wolford is going to do. They're going to put him in space, and if he needs to pick up a couple first downs with his legs, I think they're going to try to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some design runs with him in order to throw a little bit of a wrinkle in there. They're going to have to throw the kitchen sink at a very good, underrated, Cardinals defense and I'm curious to see what it looks like when McVay has a quarterback that has a little bit of juice to him with his legs uh, we could also potentially see a little bit of Blake Bortles who they just signed off of the Broncos <laughs> practice squad he was their backup quarterback last year so if oh. something were to happen to John Walford or they needed a different quarterback we could be seeing some Blake Bortles action in a meaningful game in 2020 so if the Rams lose, okay, if the Rams lose this game, the Bears would have, according to 538 now, about a 33% chance of making the postseason because they would have to then beat the Packers. If the Rams win, Bears are in. Mitchell Trubisky playing in a playoff game. I'm not sure if I want that to happen. I'm still back and forth about how I'm feeling about the Bears making the playoffs in general. If the Cardinals end up do winning that game that would require the Bears to beat the Packers for the Rams I don't I do not feel or the Bears to get in right yeah if the Cardinals win and the Rams lose that means the Bears would need to beat the Packers in order to get in the Cardinals would be in and the Bears would get in if they beat Green Bay so that would have looked a lot better if the Seahawks had lost to the Rams last week because then the Seahawks would have nothing to play for and the Bears would have been able to play a Packers team that potentially had the number one seed locked up. Now Green Bay needs to win because if the Packers lose and Seattle wins, Seattle has home field advantage throughout the playoffs. For as much improved, for as improved as the Bears offense has looked over the last month or so and the things they've been able to do with some of the running game and the play action stuff, I still don't believe they are going to be able to beat a full strength Green Bay team. So if that's the case, then most likely the Cardinals and the Rams would get those other two wild card spots in the NFC. Yeah, Which the Cardinals base- well, the Cardinals have to win to get in. The Cardinals yes. have to beat the Rams. Yes. Yes. So if the Cardinals win, then the Rams and Cardinals get it. And if the Cardinals win and the Bears lose, the Rams and Cardinals get it. Yes. I think that if we're thinking about the season as a whole. I think that's right. Those are the teams I think so that I feel like should make up the NFC playoff picture. And the Cardinals have been really hit and miss. I actually, I, I, Ted wrote about Cliff Kingsbury today. I haven't had a chance to read it fully yet because I was uh, preparing for the show. But I'm very curious to read what he said because I just think that 
they're so inconsistent, so hard to bet on. It's a nice story. They've done some stuff I did not expect on defense. Fun to see them make the playoffs. But if the, I don't think they're a real threat. The Rams, I still think, because of how good the defense has been and what Brandon Staley has been able to do on that side of the ball, could give anyone in the NFC problems if they do happen to get in. I still believe they would be more dangerous in the playoff field than this Bears team, even with the improvements the Bears have made on offense. Yeah, I think that's right, too. And I think the NFC West has been the deepest and most competitive division in football all year. I don't think they've been quite as good as maybe some of us anticipated they were going to be going to the year. I mean, the the Rams with the stip at the end, the Cardinals with a lot of their inconsistencies. But I think that would be the right result to have three NFC West teams in that into the playoff field. And when you talk about the Rams, Jared Goff had the surgery on his thumb. Doesn't seem to be a long-term thing though. If mm-hmm. they're able to get in, the expe- expectation is that he should be able to play. He might be in that kind of questionable, let's practice him, see how he is. He might be able to be back for the playoffs. So it's not like the Rams would get in and are looking to try to make a run with John Wolford as their long-term solution there to try to make a a Super Bowl run there. The expectation is that Jared Goff might be able to play in a week and a half um, once he's recovered from the surgery, depending on how all of that stuff goes. But um, yeah, I think that would be right. I think the one other thing that we have to watch when we're talking about this Rams-Cardinals game, Kyler Murray is going to play. He practiced on Wednesday. He did his media conference. He said, I'm fine. I'm going to play. But he got leg whipped at the very end of last week's game, uh, was a little dicey whether or not he's going to play. So he's been banged up. He hasn't been as effective late in the year, especially as he's been dealing with some, you know, he's had a lot of just stuff. He's had shoulders this year, and now he's kind of got this knee thing that he's dealing with. So they're not healthy either on offense. So it's really going to be interesting to watch what the Rams are able to do defensively against, um, against Kyler Murray this week. So looking at some of these scenarios... If the Cardinals beat the Rams and the Packers beat the Bears, both of which seem realistic at this point, the Rams would then play the Saints in the wild card round. If you're the Saints, that's not appealing. I would much rather play the Bears at home if I were New Orleans than play the Rams. So implications not only for the teams trying to get into the playoffs, but for the teams that will have to play them both next week and beyond. So, okay. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Let's move over to the AFC, where there has been a whole lot of news this week about a very important Brown-Steelers game. I'm sure you have been paying a lot of attention to the Browns' COVID situation. I'm just going to press play on you and let you go here. What, what is the latest on the Browns, and how much of an impact is it possibly going to have for essentially a win-and-get-in game for them? All right. So in full disclosure, we're recording this. uh, It's about three o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. So what we know right now is that the Browns put three players on the COVID-19 list between Monday and Tuesday. So we believe that one of those players, safety Andrew Sandejo, will not be able to play against the Steelers. Um, And then on Wednesday morning, the Browns learned that there was another player and another coach who had tested positive. Um, We'll learn a little bit more about who that player is later on Wednesday when the COVID 
when they're placed on the COVID list. But so the Browns facility was closed all day Wednesday. I mean, this is a huge week, right? Where, you know, you'd want to be practicing. So they've had all virtual meetings. Um, But they're going to try to do a (laughs) walkthrough if all of their tests come back good on Thursday morning. So the tests that they took Wednesday, they're going to get those results in the middle of the night, Wednesday night into Thursday morning. If those results come back relatively clean, you know, with no new positive cases, we should expect that this game is going to be played as scheduled. And honestly, even if there are some new positive cases, the NFL is still pretty adamant that they're going to be able to proceed with this game. I was on a a call earlier today, earlier Wednesday, with Dr. Alan Sills, their chief medical officer, and he said that through the contact tracing, through the information that they, the interviews, the contact tracing data, all of that stuff that they have learned from the first wave of positive cases, they don't believe that there's been any transmission within the building. So he said that Cuyahoga County, where Cleveland is located, has the highest positivity rate of any NFL city or any NFL county right now in the country. So they're not surprised that there have been some positive cases popping up. Guys are getting, you know, it could be from their chiropractor, their massage therapist, you know, picking up in the grocery store because the positivity rate is so high in Cleveland right now. So the really important thing to watch now is, is there ongoing transmission? Are there new active cases? And then the big question that none of us know the answer to right now is, if there, if there is active transmission, if they don't believe that they have isolated these cases, removed all of the high-risk close contacts, and that there's still some sort of spread going on, then what happens? I asked Donna Ponte this exact question on a call earlier on Wednesday and did not get a good answer. I asked, do you have the flexibility to move a game in week 17 to Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, the type of things that we've seen the NFL do throughout this season to keep this season on track. And they said that right now the plan is that they're going to play on Sunday, but they're going to be flexible and keep options on the table just in case. But it's, it's a little dicey. It, uh, (laughs) you know, poor Browns fans, poor Browns, and then poor the Steelers too, right? They've been caught up in every single other team's outbreak from the Titans then to the Ravens. Although if this game got pushed if somehow they didn't play it, if it didn't end up mattering for some situation, the, the the Steelers could finally get their bye week. They were already going to be resting some starters, including Ben Roethlisberger, in this game. So it's just a whole nother, you know, very fitting 2020 element to the end of this season. The nice part about the Browns is, even if they lose a couple guys to the COVID list, and Dejo's there, Harrison Bryan is there right now, the receivers will likely be back if there isn't an active yes. outbreak of any sort. And... Even more importantly, I don't know who's going to be playing on defense for the Steelers. I don't think that's come out yet. But Wyatt Teller and Jedrick Wills will also likely be back this week. So the Browns, with everything to play for, playing against the Steelers team, resting its starters, will be at something close to full strength when you're considering the most important players on their team. So the Browns are well-positioned to win this game yes. against a Steelers team that doesn't need the win. So if the Browns win, which it seems like they have a very good chance to do despite everything that's going on. They're in. If the Browns somehow lose, they could still get in, but the Colts would have to lose to the Jags, which does not seem likely, or the Ravens and Dolphins would both have to win and the Titans would have to lose to the Texans. Again, Got seems, all that? Like a re- <laughs> seems like a remote situation, okay? But so if the Browns win... And the Dolphins win, the Colts are out. If the Browns win and the Bills win, the Colts are in. So, Sean McDermott came out today and said, 
Those conversations have taken place and we have a plan. I would like to keep that plan internal for a number of reasons. So we're not going to know. This has the feeling of Allen plays a quarter, whatever, to keep him fresh, or some of the starters play a quarter, just a, a series or whatever. We've seen that happen before where teams will just shut it down later in the game to keep streaks alive and everything else. There are a bunch of different considerations here. But it feels like the Bills will not have a ton to play for. And if they don't have a ton to play for and the Dolphins win, Dolphins are in. So this could break terribly for a Colts team that, in my opinion, has as good a chance of any as winning a couple games here in the AFC playoffs. So there are a lot of things to consider, but I think right now the most likely outcome here is the Browns, the Dolphins, and the Ravens end up getting the three wild card spots in the AFC. Does that seem fair to you? I think so. It's just so hard to picture that field without the Colts in it. I know. But it sucks, but the way that things are breaking right yeah. now, it does not seem like it's going the Colts way. Oh, absolutely not. But look, they shouldn't have lost to Jacksonville in week one. How different would this whole thing be if they wouldn't have thrown away that that game in week one or if they hadn't given up a 24 to 7 lead in the second half to Pittsburgh last week? You know, there's a lot of little moments where this this um, Colt season has turned, but I think it just shows you how deep and how talented the AFC has been this year. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the, a the Super Bowl champion is going to come out of the AFC, but that this AFC playoff field is going to be really strong, regardless of who ends up getting those last couple playoff spots. So if the Titans lose to the Texans and the Colts win, the Colts win the division. So that would be the other path to them getting in, but that doesn't seem likely. For the Bills, the only downside to resting starters would be that if they lose and the Steelers lose, they still get the two seed. So it feels like the Steelers resting their starters would be an argument for the Bills to do the same because the Bills have nothing left to play for them. Yeah, so. I mean, really what Mike Tomlin's kind of rationale in deciding not to play Ben Roethlisberger was like, look, we're here our guys need rest. And there's so the, the difference between the two and the three without a, a bye week for the number two seed, it's negligible at this point. And so, without home field advantage for exactly. the divisional round game. So I think it's a completely reasonable conclusion to come to. But it still is just, you know, you'd like to play two home games if you can, but it's probably less important now than it has been in years past. So I, I don't know, man. Watching that Buffalo game against New England, watching the way they've played recently – it really does feel like there are two teams in the AFC that are significantly better than the others. Yes. I mean, I, and I, I agree. I was just talking to a, a, a player on the Bills before we started recording this for a story that I'm working on, and they feel good, man. <laughs> I can tell you right now, they are feeling really good, and that's completely fair. We'll see what happens with Cole Beasley. I think that's a huge piece for them. I put him on my second team All-Pro team earlier on our podcast from today, and I think he's extremely important to what they do. Having him get hurt late in that Patriots game is a tough blow for them. He's week to week. If he can get back healthy and they can go into that first-round playoff game with something close to full strength, I feel like that's the team that absolutely should end up in the AFC Championship game playing against the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, they if the last couple of weeks have really been set up to figure out, okay, who can compete with the Chiefs in the AFC, I think they're clearly the second-best team. And the way that they've been playing lately... I think you could make a legitimate case that they might be better than the Chiefs. Is that is that possible? Am I crazy for potentially thinking that? I still think the Chiefs are the best team because Mahomes gives you more answers. Yeah. But I do 
it's hard to argue with what the Bills have been doing offensively. And it almost feels like they it was a breaking case of an emergency thing with Diggs on Monday. It was like, all right, now we'll finally just like really let you loose here. I mean, they have so many weapons. I and mean, the fact that Gabriel Davis is doing stuff for them, I, it just feels like you're going to need the firepower to keep up with Kansas City if you're going to beat them. And the Bills have that firepower right now. I mean, Josh Allen is playing at an extremely high level. So even if they do end up getting the three seed, if the Steelers were to somehow luck into winning that game and the Bills weren't playing their starters, I don't think it's really going to matter. I still think that team can go on the road at Pittsburgh and win because we've seen them play the Steelers really well recently. And I don't know if the Steelers' performance against the Colts last week is enough to lead me to believe that they have what it takes to beat that Bills team in a must-win game. So when we're looking at kind of some of these AFC games right now, and specifically with the Browns. How much do you think that what happened last week against the Jets was fluky play? It was, you know, Baker making, you know, Baker losing fumbles. It was not having the receivers. Or how much of it is is it cause for concern about who the Browns are and their ability to win a, a must-win game? It's a tough thing because I feel like Kevin Stefanski was probably in his own head spinning a little bit during that game because I watched a lot of that game as a very invested Nick Chubb fantasy manager and as someone who really likes watching the Browns. And their running game had absolutely nothing going. I mean, and a lot of times you look at the distribution of runs and passes in that game. And I think the discourse around it, especially in Cleveland, has been how can you throw 53 passes in a game where you don't have any receivers? But coaches often make decisions on whether to run or throw based on the box counts that they're getting. Yeah. And they were loading the box, and that typically just has you flip the pass switch consistently, even when you don't have necessarily the players on that side to make it work. So I can understand, and they were trailing for a good chunk of that game based on some of the things that had happened. So now having to throw based on the game flow and what teams are doing to you defensively, you're having to drop back a lot, and you have two offensive linemen hurt. So I just think it was a perfect storm of all of these things kind of compounding and piling on top of one another to force the Browns into a style of play that they don't want to do anyway without the personnel to do it even if they had to, if that makes sense. I see that game as a complete outlier. I still think at their best, this offense is dynamic enough and is well-constructed enough that they would be able to put up points with some of these teams. I think that Baltimore is on a tear right now. Yeah, The Ravens look really good, and I feel like – you know, they don't have everything figured out, but their offense, their passing game especially, looks a lot better. And the Browns just went toe-to-toe with them on Monday night in a game they absolutely could have won. So if the Colts get in, I think the Browns, the Colts, and the Ravens, all three of those teams, could potentially win a game on wildcard weekend. I still think the Dolphins' offense is sputtering enough that I don't have as much confidence in them. I, I think that's a re- I think that's a really fair... Uh, really fair assessment of those teams because I think the the Dolphins offense has been limited at times. Clearly Brian Flores doesn't have full trust in Tua right now. And maybe it helps that he has, you know, this fantastic relief pitcher in his bullpen that he can bring in when they need a little bit of magic, but that's not necessarily a winning formula when you talk about the postseason and the messaging that you're sending and the game plans that you're going to need to put together when you're playing some really good defenses and not, the Las Vegas Las Vegas Raiders defense like they like they did last week. So yeah, I think that's a, a really fair kind of power ranking of of these AFC teams. And I am jacked up about whoever the AFC playoff field is going to be. Those wild card games and the divisional round games. I mean, divisional round of the of the playoffs is my favorite weekend 
in football. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite weekend in all sports because March Madness exists, but it's probably it's my favorite weekend of NFL football. So, you know, I just think we're we're setting up to have some really, really good AFC playoff games. My hope is I'm going to try to go to the divisional round in Green Bay if they ended up getting the bye, and that would likely be Bucks Packers, and I'd be able to drive up there. I am not upset about Brady Rodgers in the divisional round. That actually sounds pretty darn good to me. So hopefully that will happen. Is there anything we're missing here? I think we've hit most of the scenarios. The Ravens, it's pretty simple. Uh, if they win, they're in. If they lose to the Bengals somehow, uh, they will be on the outside looking in if the Colts can beat the Jags and the Dolphins win. If the Bills win and if the if the Dolphins lose and the Ravens lose, the Dolphins get in. So the Ravens do need to beat the Bengals in order to make this happen. But I feel pretty good about that happening. For as feisty as the Bengals looked against the Steelers, I still think the Ravens are probably going to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I'd say the one team that we haven't really spoken much about is the Titans. Um, they have a pretty clear win-in-your-in situation. They're playing against the Texans, who, you know, have not been have not been great or functional, but they do have, you know, an out of their mind quarterback. So playing against a Titans defense that has some vulnerabilities. So I I suppose I don't want to say that the Texans can't win that game, but the Texans lost to the Bengals last week. So I'm not having a ton of faith in the Texans ability to win that game. So I guess I would I guess I would say the Titans are the one team that we didn't talk about. They also are one of the teams that lost last week, but I, I was less discouraged about the Titans losing last week than I was about some of these other teams, specifically the Colts and the way that they lost last week. Yeah, I think that the Titans game is a game script thing as well. And you know, when they're behind, they're not a team that's built to drop back. You really saw the Packers defense take over, especially the front when the Titans got out of their run the ball play action style. And I think that says a lot more about the Packers defense to me than it does about the Titans offense. And the Packers defense has shown yeah. signs of life and you know, guys like Darnell Savage playing better, what they've been able to do with some of their pass rush packages and you know, Rashawn Gary giving them something. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday's podcast. I think that the Packers defensive improvements and the way that they've gotten some splash plays on that side of the ball changes the way that we should think about them. I mean, they are now a more complete team than they looked like a month ago, six weeks ago. And I think definitively they are the best team in the NFC. So a lot to consider, but those are the scenarios right now. We really only have four or five games that matter. Not a lot to talk about in terms of who has the most at stake and all of that because everyone has the most at stake. Everyone we just talked about has the most at stake this week. So Yeah, basically everyone has something at stake this week except for the Jags and the Jets who are locked in to the number one and number two pick in the draft. After that, it's all about draft positioning. It's about looking towards 2021 and then it's going to figure out and then we're just figuring out what this playoff field with an added seventh team. I, there were some questions about if adding a seventh team, if it was going to make this last week more competitive, less competitive, if it was going to, you know, dilute the playoff field at all. And I don't think that's happened. I the think Colts might not make the playoffs. That's wild. I mean, I think you could make some arguments that there's some dilution to the NFC field, but that's just by based on the fact that we have to let somebody from the NFC East in. If we could not let somebody from the NFC East in the field would be significantly better, I think. I totally agree. I, I think it's going to be a great playoff field. I actually kind of love the fact that we got three games on wildcard weekend. Uh, from each conference and the games look to be shaping up really well. So that's all we got. Um, we, you, know, you and I will be back next week to preview the wild card, wild weekend, card week, which is, I, I cannot believe we're here guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please enjoy your new years. Be safe, be smart, 
Uh, we will be back on Sunday night with Nate to break down everything that happened in week 17. Please rate and review the podcast. If you want to give me a late Christmas present or do me a favor for New Year's, go ahead and do that. Also, this is your last chance to get the buy one, get one offer at The Athletic. It's through December 31st. I promise you will not regret it. It's a great gift for the sports fan in your life. If you miss Christmas or you just want to do something nice for somebody, please consider that. We'll be back on Sunday night. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.